Hello and welcome to the E is for Everyone podcast. I am your host, Josh Bellavoe, along with Rob Lachaud. And today, we have a lot to cover, especially about esports organizations. And before we get into that, Rob, some big news over the last couple of weeks. Specifically, I want to talk about 100 Thieves and the layoffs over there. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I I know last year, around July, they had started with some layoffs and unfortunately, they announced, obviously, just this month that they had to lay off uh, a number of other employees as well. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of speculation on why that was, but it seems like, generally speaking, most of the response from the people who have been laid off have been, I guess, relatively positive. Um, but of course, there are those people that have also expressed concern and how they're going to transition into either the same industry or other industries. Um, I know marketing was one of those big ones. Um, you know, um, one thing that I have heard from this, and, and I think they specifically mentioned it themselves, was times are tough right now in this industry. Right. And that part of the layoff reasoning is they're just not bringing in the money or the sponsorship deals that they previously had. I mean, and that's, and that's big right now. I, I know we touched on this last week kind of transitioning gears here a little bit uh, in the whole FTX uh, TSM deal, you know, where you have a, a, a company that comes in and is offering you some big time money. And all of a sudden you haven't got all that money and it's just gone. Poof. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, they, they let go of their chief revenue officer and I know the, the hundred thieves compound used to be the, what was it like the cash app compound. And, uh, that was, you know, their their big appeal was the, the branding everywhere. And, you know, sometime last year, I remember seeing suddenly all that branding starting to drop off, you know, those sponsors. And, and this goes back, again, uh, I hate to keep bringing up last week, but when we talked last week, uh, we, we specifically talked about some of these organizations. And I think we even mentioned 100 Thieves, and that was before this actual episode, even though the, the episode just uploaded a couple of days ago, it was actually recorded two weeks ago. I was out with COVID last week, so we, we didn't do any recording. But in, in that episode, we talked about how a lot of these bigger orgs, yeah, they're pulling in a lot of money, but are they really making a profit? And a, a lot of that comes back to something we're going to talk about today, and that is having a plan, which these guys definitely have a plan. Don't get me wrong. Uh, an organization like that, I mean, they've got investors, they've got billion-dollar ideas, and they have the right type of people behind them backing them up on that. But Moreover, here we are laying off, you know, I think it was what, 15%, 12%. Uh, we can go back and look at the numbers, but it, it was, a, you know, I would say a significant portion of the organization just got let go. And that's troubling in this industry. You know, when you see one of the top dogs laying off that many people. Well, I mean, they're the second most valued esports organization in the world behind TSM. So, you know, if, if, if they're struggling, then, I mean, what is... What does that say for the future of the industry? Oh, absolutely. And and that's not to say, I, I think the, the industry has a bright future ahead of it. And I think we'd all agree on that. But absolutely. And I think one thing that organizations haven't really figured out yet is how to turn what they have into a profit. It's like you're sitting at a gold mine, right? And you're you're digging out that gold. You got that gold. Okay. So what makes the gold valuable? What do I convert that gold into? What am I making with this gold? Why is it so valuable? What is it? 
I think that's where esports organizations are currently is there's a gold mine there. They just don't know how to use it yet. They don't know how to capitalize and make the money off of it. A couple of them have figured out, and there's a couple of popular ones out there that are profitable. There's very few, but there are ones out there that are profitable. And when you see this coming, layoffs, I mean, it, it could be we just don't have the, the resources right now to support this, but we're still making a profit. I, I wouldn't know without looking at uh, specifics as far as the financial statements go, but that could also be a possibility as well, Rob. You know, I also think it's it's largely somewhat the state of the world at the moment. I mean, it's it's a it's a crazy economy just globally, um, and despite the fact that esports and video games in general is easily the fastest growing industry on earth, um, there's still a people being affected by that. I think a lot of it's trial and error. I think what it is right now is a lot of organizations are trialing things out and figuring out whether it works or not. You know, and and something my organization has actually been toying with is the idea of subscription-based services. I, I would challenge anybody out there right now to go look for any type of subscription-based service outside of Team Liquid, that is, I'll give them credit on a couple, go find something for TSM that's subscription-based for the organization. Uh, C9, G2, Alliance, go find something. I mean, these people have millions of followers, and are they really tapping into that potential outside of selling a few jerseys? I mean, to be frank, I'm I'm very surprised because like when I when I think of esports, I think like gen- genuine household names, Optic, Phase, Hundred Thieves, TSM, and the fact that they haven't capitalized on a system like that is is pretty surprising. I mean, the reality is in 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 this industry, it seems like because it's so experimental, but also because for lack of a better term, we're kind of pathfinding, right? We're trailblazing in this industry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, everything is new all the time. I think people forget that there is still those traditional styles of services and amenities that fans of a, let's be honest, sports team would enjoy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and I mean, the one thing that you don't have here that you get with your traditional sports team is uh, lands are few and far between. I mean, these teams aren't traveling every week or, you know, every day, depending on what sport it is, to go play a game. They're not – some of them that are, are in these uh, franchise leagues are pulling in some type of revenue off of marketing and, you know, um, deals that are reached for broadcasting and whatnot. But for the most part, the majority of these teams aren't raking in anything off of that. And a lot of this industry, I would say, especially esports in general, um, the revenue is kind of gatekept by the developers. Essentially, I mean, if you think about it, you know, is the ALGS in, in Apex Legends, uh, are they, or, or even Dota 2, I'll also throw that one out there, are they giving these teams that are competing any of that profit uh, towards the price pool? You know, and I would tell you skins in Dota, uh, based on what you've purchased, um, that's how their, their price pool is funded, actually, is through in-game purchases. So kudos to them. But as far as the broadcasting rights, is any of that shared with the teams, I, I couldn't tell you for sure if they do or not, but I can tell you in Apex, 100%, they're they're not sharing any of those type of deals. 
maybe that's how they're getting their funding. They're five million in funding for the ALGS championship. But outside of that, um, these buy-in leagues, like your Call of Duty league, um, Valorant now, Overwatch, yeah, Overwatch. So these leagues are actually sharing in the, in the broadcast rights, but here we're not. So in a way, you're kind of gatekept a little bit by the developers, you know, and. There's, I think, in the future, going to be better ways of making organizations more valuable. But like I mentioned, it's just not there yet, and we're still in the trial and error phase. I wonder if that's kind of, I know we brought this up last week, if that's kind of like the pro and con of of the grassroots kind of build-up style tournament versus these like mega tournaments with buy-ins. You know, you see something like the ALGS and, you know, those kinds of things and broadcasting rights aren't necessarily disclosed. But from an investor standpoint, you know, say, hey, I got 20 mil. I want to buy in and make a team. You know, how do you how do you swing that to someone who has a kind of money? Well, hey, (laughs) you know, we have broadcast sharing. We have blah, 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 blah. You know, maybe that's kind of the major pro and con right now in this current system. Right. And, and it definitely is, you know, but I, I tell you, it's a lot more scary to pay 20 million for a team than it is to go out there and play for $5 million <laughs> investing zero, you know, um, I, right. I, I wouldn't want to be involved right now. And this year, however, the Call of Duty League is doing a lot better than it previously was, you know, that that thing was was almost down and out. I mean, it got hit by the Sandman and it was almost over. It got the standing eight count, but it's rebounding now. And and I think they're about to have a good finals over in Boston here uh, coming up in March. Uh, and, and another topic I wanted to cover before we really get into the main the main source here, um, me and Rob were talking about this before the podcast uh, when this came out, and some really big news, and it's exciting. And, and it's, a, it's an article about from, from uh, Dot Esports about France committing to esports. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm actually really ecstatic about this. Like this is this is actually a huge step forward. I mean, we again, we were just talking about how much more esports industry can grow, and I mean, this just proves it. So, um the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, um an, uh, last year announced he wanted to and I quote, make France a great esports nation. Um so I guess they worked together with the Minister of Sports um, uh, Olympic and Paralympic Games, and the Minister of Digital Transition and Communications. Um, so, like three major parts of the industry and politics in France have unanimously come together to make esports visas. That's huge. I mean, how cool is that? That's huge. And I'll tell you what: a lot of esports struggle with this, especially for certain countries, uh, as we know. And I'll cover this, and we'll cover this down the road a little bit, and we'll get into the whole debacle, um, specifically with Apex Legends and a couple of players not being able to compete because of visa issues. But, I mean, this is this is huge. And on top of that, Rob, one, one thing I would ask, and your opinion on, are they going to gain a bigger following in esports by making it part of the Olympics? Absolutely. I mean, we're already kind of there. I mean, we, we've always seen like the X Games as almost transitional or supplementary to the Olympics. And we're kind of seeing that already in, in the X Games. So to just straight up go, okay, we want it in the Olympics is huge. Oh, yeah. And I challenge, I challenge anybody 
to say that video games in a professional competitive setting is not a right fit for the Olympics when we have things like chess and table tennis. <laughs> no offense to chess and table tennis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I've seen some of those uh, table tennis games and, and some of those Chinese players playing, and I'm like, man, oh. those guys are standing like 20 feet away, and they're like... Like lightning. Oh, yeah, lighting that ball up halfway across. the like, I can't even follow who's hitting it back. I don't know how they're... Kudos to them, because I couldn't do it. That's for sure. And that's probably why I'm not in Olympics or table tennis, to be honest with you. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's it's huge that you have a country that's so devoted to making it esports friendly. I also think, in a way, that it will help boost their economy. So when these game developers and these managers for their respective esports, they go and they look for LAN, the first thing that has to come to your mind is, where can we go? where number one there's an arena that can hold enough people to watch it and number two where most of the people can get in right i mean for instance and i'll give you a big for instance right now you couldn't hold a land right now in russia that's just not going to happen no and there are other countries out there like that and and i'd be the first one to tell you actually that the united states is not a great place for a land it really isn't because it is one of the hardest countries to get into. And right now France is going to become one of the best. So they'll probably pick up a lot more lands. Well, I mean, not only that, but it, it sounds like they're actually going to be using, and you know, people might have mixed feelings about this, but I mean, I think it's great because if we're talking about stimulating the economy, but um, they're talking about using public funding to build infrastructure and, and, uh, like an ecosystem, for lack of a better term, in France for not only these major professional leagues, but these up-and-coming grassroots groups, which I think is excellent. That means no one's left out. That completely increases the the potential for player pool and fan base. And, and that brings more money into your country. I mean, if you think if you're holding a land here and you got these big stadiums, I mean, they're probably always going to be filled. you got players traveling from other countries to come here. You know, it's it's really there's it's a win win situation for everybody. It's a win for esports in general because you're getting a country committed to making this all possible, making it easier to get into the country to compete. And as a country, you're getting an influx of people coming in and playing lands. I mean, if you think how many esports are really out there and how many lands go on every year, uh, you could probably host a land at any of these facilities probably 52 weeks out of the year. I mean, every week. You could probably have one. So you're helping boost your own economy. Uh, you're, you're becoming very esports friendly. And a lot of people probably take note of that as well. You know? You know, I find it um, I find it interesting too because, and I know this isn't 100% the case, but being that, you know, as English speakers and as Americans, it seems like a lot of this professional esports business is very Western, you know, English focused and so i'm so glad to see that there is um other countries cultures and languages also um going to now start to experience more of this you you know it's funny you say that um that is that is a very american thing that we're going to talk about here (laughs) as americans we always think of ourselves as the best at everything right and it's natural for a country to think of themselves as the best you know but um i would tell you that we are so far behind uh, you look at, <laughs> right. we're good in a couple of games. There's a couple of games out there that the Americans just are 
North America just dominates, if you will, because Canada is part of North America, and, and we we kind of consider Canadians, um, uh, you know, temporary citizenship here in the United States when it comes to esports. But you look at countries like Korea, uh, even China Ooh, and right. France. I mean, those are the juggernauts. Those are the guys that typically dominate most esports. Even the Russians and Ukrainians at times have had dominating dominating esports teams uh, over a lot of different games. Uh, didn't correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this is going back a while, but wasn't Russia one of the best teams and have one of the best teams in uh, Counter Strike? Right? Yeah. 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 So. CS:GO is huge in and they're, in, in uh, that area. Yeah. Also, Dota. Dota 2 as well. I mean, they got a lot of good teams over there in Dota. And they even got some good teams in Apex Legends as well. But moreover, we are so far behind when we think we're ahead here in the United States. I mean, these countries are just built for it. In Korea, you know, there's their celebrity status when they are professional players in like League of Legends, StarCraft, uh, Dota. You know, these guys are, they are our version of, you know, athletes superstar athletes to them over there in those places that's what they are their esports athletes are the superstars you know i mean heck starcraft has been televised in korea since like the 90s yeah i mean it's huge. there's there's grandmas and grandpas and you know o- even older generations of people watching it like it's normal like you're just putting on a baseball game i would be willing to bet you money you could walk down the street in south korea and say who's your favorite starcraft player and that person could probably answer and probably name one. I would be willing to bet you money they could. I don't I don't doubt that. I actually – now that I think about that, I actually do not doubt that. No, no, man. I'm, I'm serious. Not at all. You know, and that's uh, – that's cra- it's, it's funny to think about, but it's true. And I also think Europe as a whole, as a whole country, is a lot farther ahead in esports than the United States is. We're just kind of playing catch-up. And I think a lot of it had to do with our business models and the way we conduct business. We didn't really see it as viable until several years ago. And then everybody just kind of jumped in on it and wanted to be involved in esports all of a sudden. And now everybody's involved and saying, now what do we do? And well, here, here's what you do. You do what France is doing and you make it an esports friendly country. All it's going to do is help everybody. It's just a win-win. Well, it's interesting too. So, you know, I live in Vegas and I see there we have so many venues. We have so yeah. many venues. You know, we got the HyperX Esports Arena, you know, and and, and that, that aside, there's just all these new venues constantly being made with all this awesome infrastructure for these things. And yet our visas are so restrictive. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen players in various games in various tournaments who can't even get into the country, in, in my opinion, for no good reason. And all you're doing is losing your competitive integrity. That's it. That's gone out the window. It makes it seem cheap. It does. It makes it seem like in, in, if, if we're supposed to be the best, then we need to hold ourselves to those standards. And when we see things like this, people from the outside looking in are just going, oh, they're, 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 they're stacking the deck in their favor. And I don't like that. And, you know, a way around that, too, and, and I think, uh, yes, a lot of it does fall on the country, you know, for making it hard to get in. At the same time, I think in some cases, in some games, um, some of the developers or the coordinators that are responsible for putting this all out there, uh, they are a little bit to blame as well. I mean, if you give somebody a month and a half and you're going to have your LAN 
in a hostile country to one of your competitors, it is going to be very, very, very tough for that person to get there, right? It's not going to be easy, and you could have prevented this all along oh, yeah, by it's, saying it's six months six months ago, this is where land's going to be. This, this is where we're going to play, and I'm going to single out right now specifically Apex Legends. They announce mm-hmm. a land, and three of them to be specific, and they give people a, a month and a half notice. Hey, this is where the land's going to be. Yikes. And now people are rushing to try to get a visa. You know how you could have prevented that? Back in September at the start of the season when they announced it, they could have said, hey, by the way, all three lands are going to take place here. And you know what? People could have had a lot more time to get their stuff together so we don't see a lack of competitive integrity. It would have been so much easier. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm going to use this comparison often, but you look at combat sports, you know, you look at boxing, kickboxing, mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, things like that. Um, And even then they have issues getting visas sometimes for people. And those fights are often planned six or seven months out. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, you look at the, the ALGS championship last season, you know, they announced Raleigh, North Carolina, like uh, two months before it happens. And how many teams were there? When, and again, this is also due to COVID. So COVID did play a part in this. But how many teams showed up as a duo? Or how many teams just oh, couldn't dude, attend? Oh, dude, so many. So many. And nobody wants to see that. You know these teams are going to get rocked. You know they have no chance. I mean, why, why would you even, at that point, just take the next team that can get there? You know, it's it sucks to be in that position. But they, they kind of screwed that up themselves. They had announced it so much sooner. And made it known this is where the land was going to be. I know you want to hype things up. And I know you want to make people excited. But I would argue there are two reasons why you should do this at the beginning of the season. Number one, your fans. If you give your fans more time to save up to go to these places, they'll come to it. Like, oh, absolutely. People are now planning their trip to London for the ALGS Championship. Because they know about it several months in advance. You can't do that when you get a month notice. And the other part to that is you get all the talent that should be there, over there. They figure a way out. And if not, they make the change ahead of time. So you don't have a loss in competitive integrity. It would certainly help a lot of these players who, I mean, let's not forget, regardless of how big your team is, these are still, a lot of these people are still normal, normal people, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Like if you have a big company like EA or Respawn working with you, like an agent of some sort working with you, with your government or the, you know, the government of, of, of where the the land is, it can make things go infinitely more smooth. hundred percent, hundred percent. And the other thing that helps out is it helps out the organizations that are involved. Not every team that goes to a land signed by an org. But for the majority of them, I mean, there's there's always some backdoor deals where if it, an esports organization realizes that one of the players is going to be able to attend, sometimes they'll reach out to another organization and try to acquire a player real fast to go travel for them. And I mean, kudos to them for figuring that all out. But it shouldn't have to be like that. It just shouldn't. And it's, it's crushing. Go ahead. It's crushing. You know, you you work your butt off. You're you're grinding every day. You're, you're, you're taking all this time to do these tournaments, strategies, you know, mental health, you know, managing time in your own personal, your real life, just to be said no at the gate. Oh, 100%. 
That sucks. And it's soul crushing to a lot of these kids. You know, a lot of them, this is their money. This is their life. You know, if somebody said, yeah, uh, by the way, to get your paycheck for your job, you got to go here. And you say, well, I, I can't get there. I can't get there in time. There's no flight, whatever the case may be. For them to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, actually, yeah, we're just not going to pay you for everything else you've done, by the way. You're just not going to get a paycheck. Nobody wants to go through that. And that kind of that kind of leads me into my next topic. Um, this is something that I really wanted to cover here because it's very prevalent to today's day in esports. And even as the title of the episode says, we want to talk about esports organizations and specifically what are they, how they work, and what goes into it, right? I get asked a lot about it. You know, there are people that always reach out and they say, how did you start? How did you get going? And well, let's talk about that today, Rob. Let's talk about it. So right off the bat, if if you were to go and look up your top probably 10, um, if you would agree with me here, Rob, what were your top 10 are at least worth $50 million or better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I would have to go look this up on TSM, but I'm pretty confident they're worth more than $200 million. Who wouldn't want to own a if, business like that? If, if I'm honest, I I think they're worth like almost 500 Really? And that could be. <laughs> yeah. That could be. I know they are more valuable than a couple of sports franchises out there, specifically the Florida Marlins and the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, I know they are worth more than those two teams. So there's that as well. But yeah, I'll bet you they're worth a couple more teams. But back to my story is they created an organization. Anybody can do that, right? You can create an esports organization right now and you can get into these competitive leagues. You know, you can't, I, nobody here can go buy an NFL franchise. Nobody here has that kind of money. But you can start an esports organization today. You really can. And what I would tell you, um, there are probably four major things that you would have to do to be successful. And the first one that I want to talk about today, Rob, you need money. This isn't cheap. You need money to make money. Absolutely. It takes money to make money. Let's, let's be honest. Can you start one for free? You can. You really can. Uh, but as we know, you're not going to get pro players to play for you at any level. That's just not going to happen. You may find some really good players that are willing to play for free. You might find some decent talent that can do some B-tier tournaments or whatever game it is, some C-tier tournaments. But you are not going to find top-notch talent without being able to pay them or really much of a staff that's going to be willing to do it for free for very long. You know, and that's kind of where I would make the, the distinction between an esports organization and a gaming community. An organization is a business. Gaming community is a bunch of friends. You know, I, I think a lot of times people use the word organization kind of loosely. You know, you can go look at Twitter right now, Rob, and, and I'd tell you that there's probably thousands. Uh, Easily. Hard to put a number on it. Thousands of people claiming to be esports organizations, and I would bet you none of them are an actual business. No offense to any of them, but there's a distinction between the two. If you want it to be a business, 
you need money. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You will need money at some point. And investors are not dime a dozen. Trust me on that. You know, I um, I find it interesting that uh, the, the concept and terminology of things evolve so often in, in language. And that organization is now kind of like the standard term. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would just call that a clan. Yeah. It depends what game you're playing, too. Some, some are clans. Or guilds. Guilds. Yeah. <laughs> They're all over the place. Um, but the actual name for it, I'd say at this day and age, and where we're at currently, you call it an organization, uh, an esports organization. We just shortened the uh, electronic sports part of it to just esports. So there's that. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's wording kind of gets tossed around. But to be a real business, you need money. And the next thing I would tell you, you need a plan. You need to have a plan. Before you just throw out a name against the wall and hope it sticks, have an idea. What is it you want to achieve? Are you going out there to play for a championship in whatever uh, genre of video game or whatever sport it is? Are you going for a championship? Or are you looking to create a bunch of content and gather a massive following? Whichever way you're going with it, it doesn't matter. You need to have a plan with obtainable goals. And I would tell you that one goal, I mean, just for instance, maybe let's get 100 followers on Twitter in the course of three months. Maybe it's getting 1,000 followers on Twitter within a year. Uh, Whatever it is, whatever that goal is. Have a plan, step by step. How am I going to make that happen? And life will be so much easier, okay? And that plan also does fall back onto money. When you get to a certain point, you're going to need to start paying people to do content for you. You're going to have to start, at some point, either paying content creators themselves, merchandise lines, staff, uh, if you go the, the pro player route, pro players as well. Those two kind of coincide with each other. And I'll tell you this. And if you're good at something, what don't you do, Rob? Uh, if you're good at something, you don't you do need it to for just free. For... Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't do it for free. <clears throat> you know, That's all I was going to get about doing. <laughs> Getting around to that. So that's, uh, yeah, nobody that's good at it is going to do it for free, man. So again, money and a plan, okay? And the third thing, I think we'd all agree, you need fans, right? You just can't do this without fans. I mean, look at TSM. Look at 100 Thieves, Fnatic, Alliance, G2, and the list goes on and on and on. Phase. I mean, I could continue to go on with the amount of organizations people have heard of or people are fans of. Some are more hardcore than others, kind of like your traditional sports teams. But at the end of the day, Everybody, every one of those has fans. And what do fans do? They buy they stuff. They spend money. Yeah, they buy stuff. That's what right. they do. And that's why you need them. Without fans, you get nothing. If the Miami Dolphins had zero fans, by the way, I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan, so don't, don't harass me too bad about that. We actually made the playoffs <laughs> this year, so that's a good thing. But if the Miami Dolphins had no fans, nobody to buy their stuff, 
they won't be around long before they have to sell to somebody else because it just doesn't work out. Nobody comes to the games. Nobody buys the merchandise. You're done. Well, I mean, as with any business model, like you don't operate in the negatives for however long. You yeah. know, it's it's fine during some certain time periods, but you can't just work for free and you can't work at a deficit. It's not sustainable. It's not. I would tell everybody listening that wants to own an organization that you're going to be negative for a while in this business, right? It's not sustainable for 10 years, but probably for your first five, you are definitely going to be operating at a loss unless you hit the last thing I want to talk about. That is luck. I would rather be lucky than good any day of the week. But that's a two-way street. There's good luck and there's bad luck, right? And I could give you multiple examples of that. But at the end of the day, let's just say you bought an organization, you own an organization, and you spent a lot of money on a team. And this team slated to be a top three team. And whatever esport it is, it doesn't even matter. And they get shocked. They get surprised. And they get bounced early for no money. That is catastrophic. Didn't that happen? Was it League or Dota that happened a year or two ago? They made like this like mega team. And then like they, they got booted out in the qualifiers. Probably both. I mean, it happens in both of those. The teams get shocked and upset. I know Liquid, and we mentioned this last week, Liquid spent you know, upwards of a million dollars on a team and uh, in League of Legends, and that did not turn out very well at all. And I've seen that happen in CS as well. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. That is bad luck. That right. is bad luck. And I would rather have the good luck than the bad luck, but they both come equally. But on the flip side of that, you could have a team that you're paying relatively nothing to <clears throat> go out there and perform better than expected and be in the running to win some money. And all of a sudden, you've struck gold. You know, and, and I'd kind of relate that Cinderella story to somebody like Kungarva. Um, I hope I'm saying that right. When they won the first ever ALGS championship. Oh, Kangarna. Yeah, Kangarna. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, they won the first ever ALGS championship. That was championship. huge. Yeah. Nobody ever expected that. That's the thing. That, that is good huge luck. Huge upset. Huge upset. That's good luck. And where are those guys today? They're signed by 100 Thieves. So I'd rather be lucky than good any day of the week. But the amount of exposure that that organization got from that is massive. Absolutely massive. That leads to sponsorship deals. That leads to my first talking point. Circle right around full circle here. Back to money. And they're going to get it from that. That's payday. Which is huge. But owning an organization is tough. You know, sponsorships are hard to come by. And we started this episode talking about that and how tough times are right now in this business and how volatile it can really be. But at the end of the day, you need to have a plan and you need to be ready for those expensive because they are massive. You know, how many, and, and here's a good point and a, a good talking point. And Rob, you're going to have to help me out with this one here because off the top of my head, uh, Sola Fide. Sola Fide. Do you remember Sola Fide? The the French team? No, they're an American team. Um, they competed in League of Legends, Apex Legends, and they went belly up. So, oh, oh yeah, right. Man's yeah, out there yeah. posting they, about they, a Lamborghini, and uh, 
that was that was the old uh, Designful team, wasn't it? Like yeah. Designful result of gent- uh, gentrifying. Yeah, they never got paid. Um, that is the other catastrophic thing that you don't want to happen to you in this business, and that just goes to show. I mean, he is a – I forget the owner's name. I think it was Odd, uh, Oddity, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was the owner of Solafide SF, if you will. Um, this is where luck can go awry and can be catastrophic, and this is what happens when you don't really have a plan. So to summarize a story, maybe a lot of people have already heard this story um, or been a, may have read it through it. This, this occurred probably two years ago now where this organization goes and buys a League of Legends team. And at the time, this organization was struggling, right? I'm straight up struggling. And the hope was if we do well enough in the League of Legends, that can pay off the bills for now. That pays everybody what I need to pay them. But like we talked about with Luck, now this team was a lock. This team was a lock to be a top-tier team. And they ended up sucking out. And that turned into a very catastrophic failure for that entire organization. And my point being here, you got to be careful with this stuff. The last thing you want to do is put yourself in a position where you gamble big and you lose. I promise you, you are all done. That's it. Just like Solafide. They got into a big trouble, actually. They got into a lawsuit where they were required by uh, Riot to pay those players over time. Like a big lawsuit. Uh, I'm sure um, after this episode, if people want to go look that up, you can read the story for yourself. It's everywhere. And the best part about it was the guy posted a picture of himself asking if somebody wants to, anybody wants to go for a ride to his Lamborghini to the LCS. Yeah. Fortunately, he never made it. Yeah, and I hate to use this uh, this old term, uh, but uh, you know, don't don't count your eggs, right? Don't count your eggs before they hatch. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> absolutely, hundred percent. So. One of my biggest pieces of advice is to people out there that want to start your organization. Um, and I think the majority of the people listening right now are not in a position where they can probably spend $5,000 a month. I would tell you at that amount of money, you can be fairly successful on, a, on that kind of a monthly budget. Um, but let's just talk about the people that maybe want to start for 100 or $200 a month. That is going to be tough. And the first thing you need to do is go get yourself an LLC. First thing, I'll promise you this, nobody is going to give you any sponsorship money, which is the holy grail of being an organization is getting sponsorships. Nobody's ever going to give you a dime without being an LLC and carrying some type of business insurance. Believe it or not, if you're a business in esports and something catastrophic happens like Solafide, for instance, any brand that is aligned to you is going to come after you for damaging their reputation. I promise you that. Mm. And that's what your insurance is there for. And a lot of these companies are going to want you insured up to a million dollars. I promise you, sponsorships are going to want to see that. They're not just going to come blowing down your door. The other thing I would tell you, affiliate deals are not sponsorships. Very Don't different. mix the two things up. Mm-hmm. They are not sponsorships. And I'll promise you, if you take an affiliate deal, you are not going to get a sponsorship from them unless you do something magical, which... 
I promise most of you are not going to do. So before you go selling your everything, selling your home to Rob Peter to pay Paul or whatever it is you want to do, these people that you're taking the affiliate deals from, they're just going to use you to do the hard work, right? I've never been a fan of affiliate deals. I don't like them. Um, there are some cases where I may take one or two because I need something. But for the most part, I avoid it like the plague. First person to ask me for an affiliate deal, no thank you. But I'm more than capable of sustaining the organization that, that I own with my own money currently. So I'm not in the same position as most people. But for those out there listening, be careful with affiliate deals. Don't sell yourself short. Like I would tell any professional player, don't come up short. Don't settle. Know your value, know your worth. And also, back to my starting this organization for $100 or $200 a month, save some of that up. Work out a deal with professional players that makes sense based on performance. A lot of organizations, uh, big ones if you will, like your TSMs, you know, I think Rob would agree with me here. A player like Imperial Hal um, is probably going to make north probably one hundred and fifty to 200000 a year, just shooting from the hip, not knowing. I would say at minimum just based off of gaming, like professional gaming these tournaments, yes. I guarantee he makes more off all these other revenue streams, but 150, 200K sounds about right. Yeah. It's probably more than that as well. It's, it's probably closer to 300,000, but I'm just giving a conservative number here. But I would promise you that he's making a lot of money, right? So these big organizations, they're going to come in and they're going to spend top dollar on guys like that. They know what they're getting into. And when you look at a team and you're looking to get a team, you need to know what you're getting into, right? You could go sign a team right now that's already in the pro league of whatever whatever sport it is you're looking at. And you have a general idea of where that team's going to finish. You know what you're getting yourself into, right? You look at a team that may be a fringe team, an upcoming team. These are real wildcard teams. But that is probably a good place to start with most. Look at the Tier 2 scene. See who's doing well. And talk to those people. Look at these teams that may be fringe Tier 3 teams. Maybe they just need a couple of tweaks. You know, I, I can promise you, looking for your average player to play competitive just isn't going to work. Look into Tier 2 t- uh, scenes, uh, Tier 3 scenes even, and take it from there. If you want to start an organization cheap and pay them on a competitive contract, hey, if you manage to do this, I'll give you this much money on a monthly basis. If you're able to get to here, I'll give you this much, so on and so forth. That's an easy way for a small organization to limit the amount of expenses and getting the most out of success. The more successful a team is, the more they get paid, the more money you're probably going to take in as well. And I would tell you that there's less risk versus reward based on that formula than just being like your TSM and saying, hey, by the way, I'm just going to give this team a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to play for me. That's just not achievable for most people. I'll be honest, you know, I I think in <clears throat> the modern climate, um, and I'm going to use kind of a left field example here. If you guys don't know about the story of how Lil Nas X, the musician, actually started, he started on Twitter by making a meme page. And I'm not saying go out and make a meme page. But what he did was he garnered a following through having a personality online. 
and just being himself, being funny or being creative <clears throat> and garnered a following. So to kind of transition that, if, if it were me, say if I had 5K, I think I would invest in content creators first until we have oh, a yeah. high enough revenue stream that I can then look into professional players. Absolutely. And, and I would tell you, if I could go back and start all over again, that's probably the route I would go first before getting a pro team. 100%. Um, with content creators, you get a lot more value because you have a lot more stability. You see, the esports side of things, it's very volatile. Um, there's a lot of ups, there's a lot of downs, and a lot of unknowns. You know, you don't know if you're going to make it into the money. You never know. You could be playing in a pro league for almost any esports and make zero dollars. That is very possible. A lot of them are like that. So you could have one of the best teams, the team that's won millions of dollars before, and this year they make zero dollars. That can happen to you. But with content creators, you have a lot more stability. This person has 25,000 followers. Guess what they're going to have next month? At least 25,000 followers, you know? Right. So, yeah, content creators are a better bet. Not only that, but as an organization, you're better off pitching that to a, for a sponsorship deal than your pro team because that's eyeballs. 25,000 followers, I guarantee you, you could get some form of sponsorship money from that. Guarantee oh, absolutely. You. Absolutely. You know, right, if stuff. you think about it, you're from a, you know, say I own a brand, right? Um, I don't know. I own some soda brand. Even if it was as subtle as just having, you know, you're watching someone stream and just having that soda in shot, just constantly in shot, you know, someone drinking that. I mean, I know drinks and esports and content creation is just a, such a common thing now, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's, it's a great example. It's, it is a product that most every 99% of people can afford and it's consumable and it's trendy. So yep. like something like that, or that's constantly in shot or constantly being consumed is absolutely viable for any company, even if it's only 25,000 followers. I mean, my experience in streaming has been typically around 10 to 15% of your actual followership watch you on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's just say about the same amount less buys than too. I, I would tell you that probably between 5 to 10% would buy something from you as well. Right. I mean, even if it's, you know, you have 25,000 followers and you have 500 people, 250 people watching a day, I, I guarantee you that's still 30 to 40 purchases of that product Yeah. every day. Sure. Maybe not every day, but at least at least one of those 10% of those people over the, the course of, of whatever you want to count this to show sure. will at least buy it one time. And that's huge. You know, and, and that goes back to my what I was talking, what we talked about a little bit with 100 Thieves and all the big organizations with setting up a subscription based service as an organization. That's, that's something we want to take hold of and create some sort of subscription based service, whether it be private access to videos um, that explain whatever professional esports teams we have out there, uh, giving you the best, the best knowledge possible how to really grab hold and do this. Maybe, ease, uh, you know, drop boxes or loot boxes of some sort where you could get a random box that has codes, digital codes, if you will, to play with a professional player on that organization 
or free training sessions or the opportunity to talk to some people because in organizations, these fans would probably buy that up. They're fans of your organization. How do they become fans? Well, you have some players or some content creators that they really like. Do you think they'd like the opportunity to play with them? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, that's huge. And if I told you right now, if I told you for, I don't know, uh, $14.99 a month, if you were a TSM fan and TSM said, hey, for $14.99 a month, you sign up for that and every month we'll give you some kind of free code for some exclusive TSM download. And maybe several lucky winners will win the chance to play with their favorite esports superstar for maybe three or four games, whatever it is. How many people do you think would sign up for that instantly? And oh, I guarantee tons. it's in the min- I'll guarantee it's in the millions. Even non-fans would probably sign up for that. Guaranteed. Hey, we'll give you access to remember when Imperial Health did this boot camp. Same idea. We'll give you access to this boot camp every month. Whatever game it is, learn from the best. Here they are. If I told you um, TSM, or aka Undying now in Dota 2, um, hey, here's some tips from these guys playing at the pro level at the highest level. It's a really hard game to learn. Here's what you need to do if you're starting out, and this is how you kind of get into the scene and involved and so on and so forth. So stuff like that could be very helpful. Oh, it's and, fascinating too. Yeah. I mean, imagine having a pro break down your gameplay, for example. Yeah. Like, hey, exactly. here's what I would have done in this situation. Hey, let's practice that. That's what I'm saying, and that's that's what I don't see a lot of these organizations doing. And I think if if I were going to, and I am trying to do this actually, but if I was a new organization, <laughs> this is one thing I would highly, highly, highly want to get involved with, right? Um, as well as signing content creators first, and then going for, you know, your pro players. Um, it's easier to go that route, but if you absolutely must and want to go for the pro players, I get it. That's what we all want. We all want the glory, right? That's why we do it. Then I would follow some of these steps, okay? And, and I would take some of the advice that I've given you because I've been there myself. I didn't know the first thing about running or starting one, and here we are. Less than a year later, I do want a pro team that plays in Apex Legends, and a little sneak peek, we've been talking to a couple of different uh, Dota 2 teams, so you may see something like Ooh. that pop up soon. So who knows? But yeah. Uh, with that said, Rob, I mean, kind of a lot to take in today. Uh, our first sure. episode last week. I mean, it was uh, fun times. I think um, I think this is going to just continue to grow. I, it seems like we've we've gotten some good feedback from people, and yeah. I, I want to continue to kind of cater this experience so that people can enjoy it. More people, even outside our, our typical audience, will enjoy it too. So this week. Like we'd mentioned last week, we were supposed to have uh, Tessa from Nightmare. However, her being um, European, us being over here in the United States, uh, we couldn't get our times to align. We had to do it a little bit later today. Uh, We do promise, though, we're going to get her on eventually. And we're also going to try to get uh, Samurai Sky on with us as well. But we do have a special guest next week. And I'm not going to drop names yet. But uh, yeah, we do have somebody coming in next week. And we like to touch on every aspect of gameplay you know we've talked about organizations we talked a little bit about streaming last week Uh, we talked about a little bit of news but one angle i don't think you hear a lot about are the casters Mm. you know when i watch the algs or or any other game i like to watch it through the casters not the pro players because i like to listen to them talk 
the color commentating is yeah. absolutely what adds adds to me. You know, they they in most of these leagues they're like, oh yeah, like you can click here and like you can see the pro players view if you have a favorite team. And it's like, yeah, I do. Of course I do. And like, of course I want to see that. But I just one of my favorite reactions is just that like visceral moment when some crazy thing happens and we're hearing the commentators freak out and they're stuttering <laughs> and rolling over themselves. Yeah. Or I mean, heck, even being put in perspective of like, you know, hey, maybe I don't know about that player's background. And, you know, the commentators, they know about it and they they talk about it. And that kind of brings a more human aspect. It's it's nice to hear. I'm excited for next week's episode. It is. And and I think that this is a, a subject that doesn't get covered enough. You know, how do you even get involved in casting? You know, what is it? Where do you look? And how much can you expect to be paid? I mean, these are some of the things that uh, we're going to talk about on next week's episode. So as always, we hope to see you guys back next week. We want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode one and hopefully episode two as well. And if you can, when you get a chance, please write us a five-star review, like, subscribe, share with your friends. This just helps us get more exposure, helps get the message out there. And we hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And as always, if you have any questions or you want to hear us cover a certain topic, we're more than happy to talk about anything here anything related to gaming we'll do it right rob absolutely uh, hell yeah and if you want to come on and argue with us too about some of the points we made Ooh, that would be more, fun. <laughs> more than happy in fact I, I talked to a couple of my friends yesterday and they've agreed to kind of come on and do a roundtable discussion because we share a lot of differentiating opinions on several topics um and I'm going to bring them on and we're going to argue about this because they'll be the first people to tell you that controllers should not be in a game like Apex Legends. Ooh, ooh, hard disagree. A lot of people are going to get heated over this debate, oh, but we man. are going to have this one. Oh, geez. Uh, no way around. We're, we're going to have we're that doing this. All right. <laughs> we're doing this. We're doing this. And they're going to argue about the aim assist and all that stuff. But uh, that's some of the stuff we like to do. And we'll do anything related to gaming, really. So. Like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter. I'm going to put the Twitch hand, or I'm sorry, the Twitter handle in the <laughs> description for this episode. So give us a follow there and ask us your questions. And as always, we'll be more than happy to respond. So again, Josh Bellavo joined along with Rob the Show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you guys next time. Ciao.